actually these theologies lead directly to these violent and abusive situations. It's not, these violent and abusive situations are not something that happened, you know, kind of randomly of like, well, that doesn't make any sense with your theology. It makes perfect sense with your theology, actually. Yeah. And that's what we need to reckon with. I really hate on the church. I work at a church. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't I don't despise all churches and think they're all useless. I think there are a lot of churches who are willing to do the work um, necessary to be a force for net good in the world rather than net harm. By and large, that's not the case. By and large, most churches are not willing to do that work. And so they should die. Hey folks, so this is Stacy here and oh, this episode is a very hard one. It's weighed very heavy on my heart. Sorry for the tears. it's real um when I read this book uh, Emily Joy's book hashtag church two on page 188 this quote um rings really heavy in my heart and it says the only people who will betray you are people who regularly consistently betray themselves if you don't want to be the kind of person that betrays other people then you have to do the work of learning how not to betray yourself and this this whole experience in reading her Emily Joy's book and reading or and, and, and contemplating this whole like all of my upbringing and, and so many things that the church has taught me is that I really had to do the work with my own self so that I don't betray other people. And in doing this work in my own self, um, it's been really hard. Um, I have spent a lot of time crying. I spent a lot of time really looking at like what has gone on with me, um, you know, from the start of being introduced to Christianity, what it was like to be brought into a culture, um, that teaches not only the Bible, but also things that are even stretched, stretched outside of even what the Bible says and, and thrown into, into purity code or purity culture, whatever sorts of things that you name. Um, but it has been detrimental. It's been detrimental to me. Um, and I didn't even understand so many things that have all come together for me and just sort of reading this book and understanding exactly how all of these pieces come together in such a way that I don't know and I don't have another word for it other than being um, inexcusable um, I, guess, I mean I would honestly my heart right now would say diabolical 
and it's well-meaning that's the hard part like it's it's sad because i see where it fails where it's hurt people and it caused so much harm but yet it can feel on the surface like you're doing the right thing and and you don't even know where the right thing starts and where the wrong thing begins and it just gets so convoluted because it is so connected to a whole network of beliefs and things that I don't know when I started to try to uncover it all like it it really it took a lot out of me I'm I'm being honest like it I had multiple conversations with various friends about a lot of different things and you know there's some uh, I was faced with um you know some of the exact comments I thought I might hear sometimes from uh, people that are going to invalidate uh, certain situations and then I also heard positive encouragement and connection um, to other people um, that can perhaps help me from other friends and so it's been it's been um, I don't know it's been a big huge growth experience for me sorry to be um, emotional I just want to let you know where I'm at and I think that um, this book is very 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 worthwhile to look into to just kind of understand some of these things that are going on whether you realize it or not it's in the fabric of some of these teachings that you may not even understand the harm that you might be causing by perpetuating it and I get it I get I done it myself to be honest I did it with my own my own kids I I but I realize now I understand where it the healthiness of it um, kind of stopped and the unhealthiness started. And I hope that if nothing else, that you can just listen to that part and learn. Um, I don't know. Just at least learn how not to do some things. God's peace. And hope you enjoy the show. All ahead, one third. All ahead, one third. Aye, aye. Stand by to dive. Diving stations. Dive. Dive. Welcome, friends, to the Protect Your Noggin podcast. We offer lessons in outfoxing religious wolves. And sometimes we will address emotionally difficult subjects. So make sure you pay careful attention to our descriptions of each of the episodes. And then also have some resources handy, such as the crisis text line. That's one of our favorites, which is 741-741. That's 741-741. Now, just take a deep breath because we're not afraid to go deep. But don't worry because we'll also have some fun along the way. Our plan is to help us all resurface with insights and tools to help heal ourselves and our communities. So come along, because we got this. Very few people have been able to thread all the pieces together. It's like there's a lot of intuitive stuff, but it's it's actually a really good book for us to be able to recommend. And we have been doing it already with with students. And as you can imagine, the, the main reason we're in, into this uh, subject 
is it was forced upon us by the reality of not being able to do anything we really want to do because of all this pain. So yeah. we'll get to that in a second. But Stacey, what do we really want to talk about to start? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, so I want to I want to start with The Bachelor, to be honest. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yes. Let's do it. This is actually the second time I've talked about the bachelor in church too today. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and part of, you know, what I was going through, I read, I read your book and then, um, and we were late, our whole obviously semester has been thrown off. And so yeah. I wasn't able to watch like every single episode this year. We, we often watch as many as we can, you know, you can, you can kind of miss a few, right. And get the point. But um, so this one, we were we definitely watched like the the final pieces, but there was a part and I had just come off of reading your book and there was a part of it where I had realized, wait a minute, Matt doesn't really know all like he didn't really have his, almost like his own um Oh, I, what's the right word? Agency. Agency, yes. And, and kind of like, he didn't think that he could actually say no to getting engaged, you know, for a second mm -hmm. there. And, and I realized like, there is this whole, I guess, bachelor nation of people, right. That are kind of like, yeah, they're all signing up to be a part of this, but yet they all kind of think it needs to end an engagement. There's that pressure that, you know, this is, there's supposed to be this outcome, or at least that's what they're all, you know, hoping for. Um, and, and yet the show is also totally playing off of their fears and insecurities. And so many of these things that like, you know, you pretty much they're going on a date. What if you put something you're afraid of or whatever, that's the date you're going on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you could say, well, these are all like, you know, willing participants because they signed up to be a part of this. But then it kind of made me think like there's this whole culture here that is being created where, you know, is it actually like psychologically fair to these individuals, you know? And it reminded yeah. us a lot of our own case. Uh, we, we were we were dating in high school and we we kind of were in that spot where we we were, you know, we're glad to be together, but we didn't really have a choice. Mm -hmm. The evangelical culture was like this big tsunami that was that was blowing us in, in in a direction. There was not a choice. And that that sense of a lack of agency had long term <laughs> negative negative effects. So so maybe the question so is playful. But yeah, how do you like you like it? But what's your assessment of 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 that culture? And, and are there are there problems that you see? And how should we think about it as casual uh, consumers of this stuff? Yeah, um, you know, I actually think there are no problems and The Bachelor is a perfect example of how all relationships should go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's there's a lot of issues, right? Um, in in uh, in like circles that talk about like ethical non-monogamy, uh, what they call this is the relationship escalator, right? It's yeah. like you start dating and then you move in together and then you get engaged and then you get married and then you have kids and then you buy a house with a picket fence and then you have another kid and then you, this is just your life, right? And this is how all normal quote unquote relationships are supposed to go, right. um, is this relationship escalator. And so, um, I think maybe the bachelor is just like a secular version of that. And like yeah. oh, purity culture and Christianity is, is a religious version of that. You know, um, I'm, I'm a, a very hard and fast devout member of, of bachelor nation. Um, but, uh, but that doesn't mean to say that, like, 
um, oh, anybody who watches the show like co-signs everything that happens on it, right? Because there's actually <laughs> my interest in The Bachelor. So there's a lot of things going into it. I mean, number one, originally I started watching it like um, ironically, right? Like, LOL, this is so funny. Now I'm like invested, right? Like this is my like, <laughs> right. this is my sacred Monday night self-care time. Like I don't do other, I mean, you know, you were like, do you want to talk last Monday? And I was like, sorry, nope, nope. it's Bachelor night. Like <laughs> right. can't do it. That's the time I've set aside to do nothing, right? Yeah. Um, on the other hand, though, it's also like a big cultural phenomena that's worth like looking at. And that's actually kind of one of the things that I want to write about in the future is sort of the way that like um, The Bachelor specifically and also just reality TV more generally sort of serves to uphold like Christian supremacy um, mm -hmm. and reinforce notions of Christian supremacy and purity culture, because I think it's very interesting to see um, these these somewhat uh, toxic, unhealthy um codependent ideas of love being being set up as the norm the ideal like the carrot on the end of the stick the thing that you're working towards um and yeah there's a lot to uh a lot to unpack there yeah definitely definitely worthwhile as a as something to to unpack <laughs> like it's, it's, yeah, it's, for sure well maybe we overly use that as a justification to our kids who are disgusted <laughs> i'm disgusted with what they're doing they're watching people play video games and then comment on the video games they're playing so i still <laughs> bachelor's superior to that culturally but to be fair i don't know if this counts but i also really like the youtube channels where um people on animal crossing go and visit other animal crossing islands um <laughs> those are some of my favorite i could watch those for hours that stuff like cures my depression and clears my skin you know what i'm saying I do. We were having this problem last night. We had five things in the queue. We're like, okay, how do we deal with our anxiety? And everything we thought was going to work, it started not working. Then we'd switch over. We ended up just, you know, so well, how do we not have the anxiety? Let's watch something like about murder or or yeah. kidnapping or so just because at least I know what the what the what the fear is as opposed to <laughs> the awkward. Um, Anyway, we're way off track, but thanks. Thanks for weighing in on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so basically, one of the things that I want to mention is, first of all, thank you very much for your book, because as Jeff had mentioned a little bit before, um, the way that you're able to weave together all of these different ideas that, you know, maybe taking a, you know, some sort of scripture out of context or whatever, but then there's this whole thing that is created out mm -hmm. of just sometimes these small ideas, even just, um, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm losing my mind here, but, um, even just thinking about, uh, like modesty rules and things like that, you know, yeah. and where that, that goes. Um, and I didn't, um, so in my own life, I realized, or I, I felt like I've always exhibited the signs of trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would actually say, uh, a, sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know, like, I, and I, I, I didn't have like a, a specific event to mm -hmm. like put it to. And so I was always like thinking, and I, and I have a terrible memory. I know I block out things. Yeah. And, and so I was like, you know, I don't have like the memory of a specific thing, but I didn't realize even, um, even the little pieces all woven together, mm -hmm. uh, you know, are traumatizing and were enough, even if I also didn't learn in the process that certain interactions that I've had with youth pastors, adult youth leaders, mm -hmm. and even two senior pastors. I mean, I have four people in my life that, I mean, I would say have, I mean, definitely have crossed boundaries, mm -hmm. have, you know, to say the least come on to me, you know, some yeah. of these things. And it's like, 
we weren't even um, growing up in purity culture times. We're a little bit older than it. We were we were the proto purity culture people. Right. And so, you know, we did go to uh, I guess one of the big people that we were exposed to is Jim Burns and handling your hormones. Um, This this dude's now at Azusa Pacific. We thought he might be done, but he's he's still around. He was in the Southern California area, but um, wasn't a Josh Harris, but was leading towards that. Well, and then, and in 2008, he did write a book um, called purity code is what he calls it. Um, But anyway, so he was like, to me, like, it's all the precursor stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, to purity culture. It got formalized, I guess, a little bit more during the purity culture time, but it's all of these, these same messages, these same teachings Mm -hmm. that were, were taught. Um, So you, they kind of teach you it, they certainly, the leaders didn't know, didn't ever probably hold to it in their own lives, didn't know how to model it even, or did not, you know, while they're teaching it. Um, and then, you know, we're the experiment, I guess, you know, needless (laughs) to say, there was a lot of tears as you were finishing. I was crying, um, through so much of the book and I'm even going to cry now (laughs) because I, I'm just so thankful because I now have more of the words that I need, you know, um, to say this is totally this was not appropriate you know um and it didn't need to be a knife against your throat right and that the whole thing was just one brutalizing experience for i mean like and and that's i think that's what people need to know mm-hmm. i think if people want to pick up your book and say well i i don't like this is this isn't relevant to me because i don't have something that i can point to that everybody will mm-hmm. agree is problematic you have to kind of get through the whole thing oh to my see. goodness yeah and you know it, it's not even just me i have talked to so many like clinicians therapists who have said like there's a reason that purity culture um ends up giving people the consequences in their lives of sexual abuse and that's because it is sexual abuse right like right. purity culture is abusive and results in those things it doesn't have to be this thing you know we think of this is why i like the term sexualized violence which i borrow in the book from my friends hillary and stephanie from into account um but i like because we think of um like sexual violence as like a stranger jumps out of a bush and commits rape right and this is it is that can be that for certainly it absolutely can be that thing um but it 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 exists on this whole giant spectrum of behaviors and cultures and microaggressions and all of these things and so it's not just this one thing of like this one time this one event occurred to me it was this long chronic trauma that is genuinely a trauma in its own right that is genuinely a sexualized violence as hillary and stephanie say so it's this this um violence that has a sexual nature or a sexual logic and that is purity culture um and so i think it is perfectly i i've talked to a lot of people who in the wake of um well partially reading my book but also just in a lot of the conversations of the last few years that have been happening online saying like oh, I just realized how all of this is affecting me because I thought like it didn't count because I didn't have this like one thing I could point to. And I'm like, it is so much bigger than that. It is so much bigger than that. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, One of the things I want to read this quote really quick before we get started a little bit more. Um, Well, actually, wait, will you first, will you define a purity culture just for those that? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So I will use, I, and it's hard to define and people have different definitions. This is what I've been working on for years. This is my elevator pitch. This is how I say it. Purity culture is the culture that is created by theologies that teach that the only acceptable outlet for sexual activity is a a cisgender heterosexual man in a legal monogamous marriage with a cisgender heterosexual woman for life or else. 
Um, so those are all the pieces, right? And the or else is, I, I always put it on there because there's always an or else, but you, depending on your community, you never really know what you're going to get, right? You, right? So your mileage will vary on this because some communities that or else is going to be like, or else you'll get pregnant and die or else you'll get an STI or else no one will want you or else you'll have a crap marriage when you do finally get married or else you'll burn in hell forever, right? Like there's so many yeah. different kinds of threats that are used to ensure, um, you know, obedience to this, but there's always something, there's always an or else. And that's the key part to it is that purity culture isn't just saying, this is what I've decided to do with my sexual life, which is fine, but it's saying, this is what everybody has to do, or they're going to be punished by God. And that's where, that's where we're going to have a problem. <laughs> have you gotten pushback from folks who want to go with you partway and say, we don't like how it was taught, but what your definition does is it makes it uh, impossible for them to sign on. I mean, yeah, have always. You, you know, yeah. <laughs> no, always. always. And to that I say, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, right. this is, I'm just telling you the truth of, you know, my, my experience, my expertise, like, this is what I see in the world. This is what I see in my life. Like, yeah, I, I get that pushback constantly of like people who are like, well, what if we were just nicer about purity culture, right? Like, what if we stopped telling right. people that they were chewed up pieces of gum and like unsticky tape, but like, nice period. start. Yeah. And that's good. I'm like, yes, you should not do that. Do that. <laughs> that's basically step number one is stop right. telling people they're chewed up pieces of gum, but it, it's, it goes so far beyond that. Right. That like, yeah, if people really, really don't want to give up their, their sexual theology, they just want to be nicer or um, right. like less rude about the purity that they're teaching. And that's kind of why I wrote the book. Right. Because I, I wanted to write the book and say like, Hey, it's actually not just the delivery method. It's also the content that is the trouble here. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And there's so, so many pieces where they do want to hold dear to some of it. And mm -hmm. if you start talking against some of these things, then you might just be, you know, put up on that stake, you know, to, to be persecuted in the mm -hmm. whole process. Absolutely. And I want to, or ghosted. <laughs> yeah. Or ghosted. Yeah, they um, be nice right, so about it. This quote comes um, on, on page 160 in your book, but it talks about uh, standing in solidarity. So standing in solidarity with the marginalized looks like making yourself uncomfortable in order to do the right thing. It looks like risking your faith as you know it to honor your own humility and the humanity in others, trusting that there is faith on the other side too. It looks like finally, finally learning how to love people more than you love your ideas about God and finding out that that is actually how you love God anyway. If I may be so bold, it looks like losing your life to find it. And I yeah. really appreciated that. Um, Cause so Jesus like, mm -hmm. I mean, it was just like, it, that was the place where I said, Oh, that's, that's it right there. That's the highlight. And I think yeah. we both, yeah, we had that. I mean, it was the, uh, the, the, the moment where you say, this isn't you um, just trying to do something that looks woke. This is, if there's any value in following the way of Jesus, it's that. And right. the other part where you brought in something that's really important to us is hate your parents. Yeah. I mean, you had to do it in your own life. And, and this yeah. is, this is the one where we'll go people will, for us, if we're doing, if we're talking to groups, everybody's cool with us for a little while. And then our, our first, our first bump in the road is, is the parents, even, even very progressive parents. They said, no, 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 we need to be in control. We need to be able to kind of dictate their progressive mm -hmm ethic or whatever, but it's still not given the agency to the kids. So I really applaud that part. Yeah. And so one of the things that we want to kind of discuss, especially because we're in the college environment. And yeah. so how do some of the ideas that you, you know, bring out in your book, um, you know, how does it relate in, in the college environment? So one of the, one of the most important things I think um, is around the conversation of consent, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And usually that 
conversation is often non-existent, right? There was, there was one time in, well, not one, but there's a part in the book or whatever that you mentioned that sometimes even handbooks will say that no sex is allowed consensual or not. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what is non-consensual sex? No, non-consensual right? sex, otherwise known as rape, right? Like right. Otherwise it, right. There's, you're like, there's sex that's consensual and there's sex that's non -con No, I'm like, there's sex and there's assault. That's what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Right. So let's talk more about that. What do you, I mean, yeah. maybe start with start with Moody, but then some of the things you've researched because you've looked into a couple of these, right? The yeah. So I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I went to Moody, which is very much like that's not just like a Christian liberal arts school. Like Moody's like a Bible college, right? It's a Bible institute. Like it's the every Bible single institute. person majors in Bible. So I think sort of the culture on campus is going to vary place to place, right? Like my fiance, Caitlin, um, went to a Christian liberal arts school, kind of a different thing than, than Moody, because at Moody, it was like, um, basically we view ourselves as the cream of the crop. Nobody else is as good at being Christians as we are. We are the best mm. at the time. Now Moody's hemorrhaging money and you know, everything else right Students. now. Um, but at the time when I was going there, Moody had a 75%, um, rejection rate, right? Wow. So they were basically like, if you got in, you're the cream of the crop. And we all know how to be the church better than even the, this is what Hillary says in the thing better than even the church knows how to be the church. Right. <laughs> um, now, how far that extends to other Christian colleges like Christian liberal arts schools, I don't know. I think it kind of depends on the culture, you know, more generally and how prominent the Bible and theology department is and like that sort of thing, right? Um, but regardless, I think it is people tend to leave um, Christian colleges and Bible Bible colleges like out of this conversation because they're, they, oh, they're schools, they're not churches, but like these function like little churches though, in a lot of ways, right? Because you have the people that you have a lot of the similar power structure, you have a lot of the similar like um, kind of celebrity culture with the pastors or the theology professors or whoever's in charge, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these, a lot of these power structures are the same and also, um, Again, to quote, I, I'm just I'm just going to keep quoting um, Hillary in this chapter because it was so good. But the the way that these colleges kind of view themselves as like incubators of the next generation of Christian leaders, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So that leads to a very particular culture on campus, right? Where if you are incubating the next generation of of Christian leaders, then you have a very high standard to set yourself to, right? You're like, we basically are the best of the best, <laughs> and so we know what's up. Mm -hmm. um, now, this gets really complicated then when you add on top of this, the fact that um, out of every single Christian college uh, like behavior code that I was sent, and I was sent about 150 of them, oh, wow. um, out of every single one, not a single one defined consent yeah. or talked about what would be an ethical uh, sexual encounter other than to say that only in marriage is where eth ethical sexual encounters take place. Um, so outside of marriage, it's sort of like irrelevant, right? Like, why would we talk about what constitutes an ethical sexual encounter outside of marriage? Because we all know that all sexual encounters outside of marriage are ethical. So why even talk about it? Like, if you just follow the rules, you don't need consent, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> um, and that leads to some very toxic environments on campus. Yeah, I think that was the most, that was the most important piece for for our conversation about about what to do about it. So you've got consent, you've got the the training. Are, are there any other key components that you think would be helpful for people? You know, there are people at there are people at various points in their life, but they're they're working in in student life, mm -hmm. dean of students kind of departments. And I would say 
I have a lot of experience with liberal arts Christian universities, and they often came out of Bible colleges. So like mm-hmm. the Bi- Biola used to be the Bible you know, Institute of Los Angeles. It used to be Moody and just, you know, added some, some uh, departments yeah. and they by, by and large have uh, exactly the same MO that, that you've noted. So I you think I even quote Viola's uh, student life guide or whatever mm, their behavior yeah. conduct or whatever, uh, whatever they call it in, in the book. I'm pretty sure I do. So consent. I mean, that one, that one, if people can get their head around it, it's sometimes hard for people that came from conservative backgrounds to get their head around it. Cause they'd say, oh, of course that's true, but they've, I think one of the things, the same thing happens with my conversations with parents on the HPV virus, uh, mm. the HPV vaccine. Yeah. They don't want, they're just, they're doing everything they can to make sure that they're external carrots and sticks so that their kids' yeah. sexuality reflects what they want it to be. Mm-hmm. But they forget that there are all sorts of non-consensual, ex, you right. know, examples. Right. So that's the sad part <laughs> is that like yeah. all these parents who are worried about their kids getting the HPV vaccine, I'm like, first of all, it's, it's not your decision whether your kid have sex at any point, right? Like they will do that or they will not, but it's not your choice. Um, But second of all, even if they were to follow all of your purity culture rules, right? There's still the matter of sexual assault. There's still all this. And that actually is a great example of why it's not actually about protecting children, right? right? Because all these people are, oh, it's about protecting children. We don't want to hypersexualize children. We don't want to do, if you actually cared about children, you would want them protected from from a virus that can give them cancer, right? I didn't get the HPV vaccine until I was in my mid twenties because my parents said she doesn't need that. Right. Right. Until after I was already exposed to it. Mm. So thank God I got it. But it's just one of those things where I have like a deeply personal stake in this. because I'm like, this is if you actually cared about children, you would give them this vaccine because even if they followed all of your rules, which they probably won't. But even if they did, there is always the matter of sexual assault. There's always the matter of sexual violence, right? So like, why would you not want them to be protected in that? In that, And the answer is because they don't really believe that sexual violence exists, right? Because the reason they shouldn't have the HPV vaccine is because if they get sexually assaulted and get HPV, it's gotta be a little bit their fault, right? They were asking for it. And what that's were they some, wearing? Yeah. Why were they drinking? Right? right? Yeah. Like it's their fault. So that's the punishment for their actions. And this is like really, really messed up. But this is like the calculations that go on inside these people's minds of like, they don't really actually believe sexual violence exists because if they did, they would want their kids to have the HPV vaccine, but they don't. And that says a lot. And they also just think that somehow the vaccine will just give their kids license to just do whatever they want. Right. That somehow deep yeah. down in, in, in their minds that they know that that that's going to, what's going to happen. Cause now you feel safer. The same thing with like having a condom on, the, on, yeah, them, which right? you should like, also have, but I'm like, you know what? People have been doing whatever they want. We've had the HPV vaccine since when, since, I, don't, I mean, it came out when I was young, Yeah, it's the been HPV a while vaccine now. came out. So it's been probably less than 20 years that we've had the HPV vaccine. People have been doing whatever they want for a lot longer. longer. Than, yeah. 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 <laughs> than the last 20 years, right? Like yeah. risk of HPV has never stopped anyone. <laughs> right. And and you also mentioned about like the drinking maybe being involved in some of these other things. Mm-hmm. And that kind of leads, goes down the path of like all sins are equal mm-hmm. type of thing. Or yeah. every if, if it's if it's sin that you were, you know, involved in like drinking when you weren't supposed to on your college campus or, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, or you drank too much or whatever, there's somehow the sin. Then if a sexual assault happens, that somehow you were, mm-hmm. you brought this on yourself, right? Well, and some of these colleges actually have that codified into their policies there. Th- some of them will actually like say like, 
we'll we'll take your sexual assault uh you know report or whatever but we're still going to punish you if there was other uh you know non-sexual but like behavior that's against our code right so if you were drinking if you were doing drugs if you were out past curfew if you were whatever right like we're still going to factor that in and then later they'll have to come back oh well we'll don't worry, we won't punish you for drinking if you were um, sexually assaulted. And I'm like, maybe you shouldn't punish people for either of those things. Like maybe you shouldn't punish people for being sexually assaulted, but maybe you also shouldn't punish people for drinking. It's just this very like carceral retributive approach to um, Christian formation and discipleship. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it's working. Yeah, that's right up our alley. (laughs) But the, the, um, but the, the interesting thing is you, you point out even by list by by listing things in the same category we've mm-hmm. already kind of hit on this though but the very act of listing on, on the same category is a it's it it's based on the theology too mm-hmm. right i mean this yeah, is you're saying, weird theology. you're saying these things are the same this is the list mm-hmm. of things um that are all the same category that we prohibit where some of these things are actual crimes criminal behavior right that should be treated right. that way yes yes <laughs> and that, um, sexually assaulting someone is a crime um drinking if you're over the age of 21 is not a crime viewing pornography not a crime right like but sexual assault is a crime and so we're, we're kind of lumping all of these things together saying all this is bad all of this is prohibited sexual acts and i'm like you're flattening the difference between a crime and a thing that you don't like and that's causing violence to your students and then you're told what that if for your perpetrator that you should use matthew 18 mm-hmm. right yeah <laughs> would you walk would you walk the listener through that yeah that's- this it, when we saw you go in that route, we, oh yeah, yeah, definitely went to Moody. So yeah, so, talk so that's the that thing part. that happens, right? So so forgiveness is a really kind of fraught theological thing for survivors, particularly yeah. in um, Christian environments, particularly on college campuses. But often it's it's framed in this um, reference to to the Book of Matthew, chapter eighteen, where Jesus says, um, if you know, if you have like beef, basically with your brother, uh, try to go to him personally, one on one, together. Um, and then if that doesn't work, then take a group of people with you. So kind of have like a, like a three or four on one conversation. And then if that doesn't work, um, then bring it in front of the church, quote unquote, I mean, whatever the church would be in that context. And then if that doesn't work, um, basically just treat that person, you know, kind of like an outsider or someone who's not a Christian anymore, but we never really get there. Right. We never, (laughs) we never get to that part where we actually cancel the person who has done the sexual assault. Um, and, and, and there's a problem with that, which is that, um, uh, dealing, uh, on an institutional level, whether that's in a church or in a college, uh, with an instance of sexual abuse where you say, okay, the, the person who was abused has to have a one-on-one with their abuser and we're not going to you know, do anything else outside. We're just going to make a facilitate that one-on-one. That's actually illegal, right? That's yeah. actually against the law, um, depending on the mandatory reporting laws in your state, demand, depending on all kinds of um, various legal things. So first of all, it's illegal for the most part. And second of all, it's super duper unethical, Right. Um, I, I know multiple survivors of, of sexualized violence on on Christian college campuses who have been forced to um, basically like be in trials and like mm, yeah. with with their abuser and like hear them talk about like why they did what they did or how they didn't actually do what they said that they did. And and and, you know, kind of just treating this like, well, it's just kind of a he said, she said situation. And, you know, that's just. Whew, yeah, it's not mm. not how it works. Let me give you a lightning round real fast. Okay. Do you have any success stories where where you changed somebody or an institution's mind yet? I mean, like do, an do you, institution? No. Yeah, I mean, like where somebody nothing, no, nothing. Um, <laughs> so I mean, there are 
for example, okay, here's a success story of my, my beautiful, very smart, um, fiance, Caitlin. Um, she went to Spring Arbor University in Michigan, and they at one point had um, in their student guide a clause that said that you could not even add, it wasn't even like you can't be gay. It was like, you can't even talk about affirming theology. You cannot advocate for affirming theology. Affirming theology is a non, like if we catch you, you can be punished for saying for that the affirming theology is correct. Hmm. Um, and they actually successfully were able to lobby to get them to cut that clause out of their student life guide, right? They did that. Mm -hmm. They did they did a like kind of an awareness raising thing. They did some direct action um, and they got them to cut it. Um, so, but <laughs> that cutting that clause was like 1% of the, right. the other 99% of the sexual dysfunction at that school, which is still mm -hmm. going on, right? Sure. Um, so, so, you know, I have seen small victories like that in different places, but that's actually not um, my goal personally, uh, because I, I, you know, if I was more of an idealist, my goal would be to accomplish that, but I'm not an idealist. I'm a pessimist. I am a cynic. And so that is, <laughs> that's not necessarily my goal. My goal is to lay out the standard. And if you're an institution, you can figure out whether you meet that standard or not to figure out what you want to do about it. But I'm just going to lay out the standard and say, this is actually what's expected of you. This is the bare minimum. You, I, I can't find it here, but you've got this great quote about, uh, like you kind of kneel down at the bridge and burn it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was a great, great image. And you, uh, so can we maybe just talk about your, your concept of, of stepping away for a little while? Yeah. Because I think this is, this is one of the things that, that we're doing on this podcast this season, the people wondering, why are you spending all this time on the Tao Te Ching? Mm -hmm. And for us, the reason is that it has it has allowed us to have Bible study time. Like there's this part of our lives where we want intellectual, spiritual reflection. And we've we've met a lot of people who have deconstructed or just just checked out for for safety purposes, yeah. psychological purposes. Um, but they feel that there's this kind of vacancy. And um how do you, so, so, so the first part is, you know, like, yeah, like we think this is the Tao Te Ching is not proselytizing religion. You don't require any theism. It's just like how to kind of think about getting your life back. Mm -hmm. Then if you want to have some dogma, we can go start talking about what dogma is going to be helpful uh -huh. for you. But can you talk a little bit about, first of all, the value of stepping away totally. And then for your own life, what have you put back in that's been helpful yeah. if anything? That's great. Um, yeah, I think um, there's a lot of people that come to these questions wanting to say, okay, how can I help survivors while also like um, encouraging people to like stay in the church, to like stay a part of all of this? And I'm like, if that's how you're asking the question, you're always going to prioritize the latter at the expense of the former, right? You're always going to prioritize keeping people within the fold over against the needs of the actual survivor standing in front of you. So you have to be okay with yourself and with other people walking away. And that is all right. It's not, um, yeah, I, I think sometimes people walk away for a period of time. Sometimes people walk away from forever. Both of those things are okay. It's not, I think we really have gotten ourselves like worked up into this idea that like, um, if people, if people leave forever, like 
that is somehow a bad thing. And it's not, people are going to do what is healthy for them. And it doesn't, it's okay. If that happens, like I just, we need to like, let, I feel like we have this like vice grip. Um, when I say we, I mean, Christians, Christian yeah. community, we have this vice grip on folks. And I'm just like, you just have to let it go. Like people will be here or they won't, but like you hanging on like this is not going to do any good. Um, for me, you know, I, briefly for a period of time after Moody stopped going to church for a while, just entirely. Cause I was like, I don't really know what I believe. And I kept getting invited to church with my friends. And there, I kept going to all these sermons where they were like talking about how like women are supposed to be submissive to men and gay people are actually sinners. And I kept getting up and walking out and like leaving in the middle. And it was sort of embarrassing for everyone involved. So I was like, mm. I'm just not going to go anymore. Have to like, do I'm, that, just, yeah. I'm not doing this. Um, but, uh, but then I came back, I started going to church. I missed it after a while. So I started going back and then, you know, now I'm in like divinity school, getting my second degree. <laughs> in Christian theology. Down, yeah. yeah. So like I did come back eventually, but like, but it's very, like, it's a very loose affiliation for me. Like I hold, I hold my Christianity at like, at like an arm, a, a very long arms distance. Um, this is, this is something for me that uh, is a job. It's something that I know about. It's a way that I can participate in harm reduction in the world because I am knowledgeable yeah. about Christianity. Um, as far as my like personal spiritual practice, that's a different thing, yeah. right? Like I don't, I don't believe a whole lot of the things, but I'm still here. I am still in, you know, I haven't been to church in the pandemic because the thing that happens between 9am and 10am on a Sunday is the most boring part of church to me. Right. Um, <laughs> when we are able to physically gather again, I'll show up again. I'll be there you know, um, sometimes <laughs> and other right. times I'm going to be in the coffee shop doing crossword puzzles. Um, it, it really is just a matter of like, it, we don't have to, I feel like there was this pressure to like define yourself right now because of the way social media works. You have to like put what you are in your bio, right. right. And you have to define every part of yourself. And so there's, there's this pressure to define yourself and say, well, this is what I am. And I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do what I do. You know, mm. I'll be here sometimes. I will not be here other times. And that is okay. It really is. It's not just okay. It was it was a part where I, I could see this 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 light bulb go on for me in terms of 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 the way to talk to people who are in, in similar situations where where the act it, it's almost like people don't understand what tantra is, but it's it's basically the spiritual experience that happens when you're sometimes violating old codes, right? So if you're not supposed to eat meat in Hinduism, uh, the going near a carcass or something is going to generate some kind of spiritual uh, experience. I took a and class on um, Buddhism last semester. There you go. And we, we studied uh, tantric Buddhism at that. We did a little unit on that. So I don't want to make too much of it, but yeah. you doing crosswords for some people, I think is a spiritually empowering thing. So I think no matter, no matter who you are, if you're listening, even if you just say, no, this, these people are corrupting my, my brain in this conversation. Can we, <laughs> can we offer you one thing? take a couple Sundays off, do, do some self-care on a Sunday morning. Well, I'm here and I'll practice doing, but you know, pra practice giving yourself some, some love yeah. and some nurturing because so often we just, we, if we do do it, we have to do it and feel guilty. Well, and, and so I'm going to quote you here uh, in page 116, where you say, when the things you must do to be healthy are the very things you are forbidden from doing, or you put yourself in danger of excommunication and hellfire, you are at serious risk of harm. Yeah. And I think that that that's the, that's the piece that the church does not give us permission mm -hmm. often to do what is healthy. 
for us. And does it not give us permission? It actively says those things are bad and sin and you're going to get punished if you do them. Yeah. And and from start to finish, you're not taught to ask the question of about whether it is healthy for you. Like the very question of asking. Right. And, and I mean, anybody knows that when you're in the midst of a situation that it's hard to see the bigger picture, right. And you, the only way really often to sometimes gain that bigger perspective is to step outside of it mm-hmm. for a little bit. And, you know, what is good and what's healthy can remain and what isn't, you know, then you're not going to see it until you're out of the the thick of it. You know, yeah. like, I mean, we've been in bad relationships and things like that with yeah. people. And, and when you're in the midst of it and, you know, you don't maybe realize you don't know how toxic it, how toxic it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, you know, we did that or that we put up with it yeah. for that long, you know? Oh my God, absolutely. Yeah. Like you're literally in survival mode, I think, mm-hmm. you know, in some of those points. And so anybody saying that it's not okay to pull away from something for a little while is run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. right. Because all that means is that you're there now, you know, in, in their grips. Right. And so they yeah. can keep perpetuating the unhealthy behavior. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because you're you're maybe being forced to study American religions or something, but you had a you had a really uh, great uh, run there uh, talking about the Calvinism <laughs> and domestic violence. Would you mind That's just maybe? Moody. Was did Moody have a kind of a, a reformed streak in it? Yeah, Moody was very reformed. Um, huh. Very very they they Moody. I was now to be fair. I was at I was at Moody in the height of like the young restless reformed like Acts twenty nine yes. neo Calvinist resurgence. Right. So yeah. part of that is just like that's what was going on in the white male evangelical Christian church at that time. Um, yeah. You know, Mark Driscoll was very popular and yes. John Piper was very popular. And like, yes. these are the heyday of these people. So this gotcha. is kind of, that's kind of part of it, but yeah, no. So the, the, that piece connecting with domestic violence is actually really important, right? Because um, I think sometimes people think um, because they are misogynist uh, that, oh, this is just like feminists, like complaining because they don't like the way that men are treating them. And I'm like, actually, um, they have done studies and found that there is a correlation statistically between believing in um, Calvinist and reformed type gender roles, such as complementarianism, um, and believing domestic and interpersonal violence myths. And there's a correlation between believing domestic and interpersonal violence myths and actually perpetrating um, domestic and interpersonal violence, right? So um, far from being like this orthodox Christian belief, something like complementarianism is actually a risk factor for domestic abuse. And I think what's really unfortunate is that we don't see it that way. We think like, oh, this is just a sincerely held religious religious belief. This is just like, you know, another theological thing. And I'm like, this when someone believes this, they are far more likely to believe horrible things about women. And as a result, they are far more likely to hit, abuse, financially restrain their female spouses, right? Um, this is, this is documented. (laughs) This is, this is a, this is a real scientific study that have shown this. Um, so yeah, I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't know. And, um, I think unfortunately in our current, like liberal American context, we sort of view like all opinions as valid, right? Um, we're like, oh, it's just in the, in the, in the court of opinion, like everybody gets to share their opinion because all opinions are valid. All, all opinions matter. Right. And I'm like, that's actually, that's actually not true. Some opinions. It's a tricky business. Would you just give a quick definition of complementarianism? Yes. Just in case people don't, I know that's kind of a niche term. Sorry. Um, yes. So, uh, 
in essence, uh, you can find it everywhere. So using the complementarian term is like for very specific communities, but you can find these ideas in a lot of Christian churches, even if they don't know what the word like complementarianism means. But uh, from from like a theological standpoint, um, complementarianism is, is just the complementarianism is just the body of theologies um, that says that men and women, and there's only men and women, by the way, in this, there's no, there's no room for intersex folks, non-binary folks, transgender folks, none of that. There's only biological cisgender heterosexual men and cisgender heterosexual women, two type of people in the world. Um, under this theological auspices, um, men and women are equal and in value before the eyes of God, uh, but they are different in the roles that they are called to play, um, both in the home, in the church, and in broader society, right? So again, it's one of those things where your mileage is going to vary based on your community. Someone, some, some communities are like really heavy on like the, the male, female, like marriage submission thing. Like women have to submit to their husbands. Um, other people are really big on like women can't be preachers. Uh, at one point, John Piper even said a woman shouldn't be a police officer because that's insulting to the masculinity of yeah. men who might be told what to do by a police officer. Um, I mean, so, 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 you know, the little galaxy brain meme, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> women can't be police officers. Women can be police officers. Nobody should be police officers because right? I'm an <laughs> abolitionist. But like putting aside the question of abolition, at one point, John Piper even said that women shouldn't be police officers. So how this is applied um, is different community to community, um, but that's kind of the general idea of complementarianism. Men and women are equal in value in the eyes of God, called to different roles in the home, society, and church. And the sort of um, in you know inherent, I guess inherent's not the right word, but the the ultimate statement of complementarianism, if you can go back to it, is the Danvers statement, which I believe uh, is 1988. But you can Google the Danvers statement and find that. And that's sort of like the seminal uh, creed of complementarianism, if you will. Right. And we'll link to that at protectyournoggin.org. Uh, now, uh, do, can you maybe just give us a couple examples of the domestic violence myths themselves? Because I bet people will say, okay, that's right. Those, oh, those darn Calvinists. Yeah. But like, what's, a, what's an example of, of these myths that may be very common in people's ears? So I list a whole bunch of them off um, in the in the book section on this, but there are things like, um, oh, you know, she was drinking, so she must have wanted it. Or what goes on in their marriage? Is it between them? It's none of my business if he put a hand through the wall. Or, um, you know, if that really happened, they would have told someone. They wouldn't have waited this long. These are all sort of like yeah. um, these sort of cultural myths that we carry about violence that happens in our, um, in our midst. And they function to make it so that we don't have to see the violence right. that goes on in our midst, right? It's like a self-protective mechanism of if it's not there, it doesn't exist. The, the Calvinist thing is so bad now that there are there's kind of a heresy. They would even call it a heresy within the movement of some of these guys where uh, they're, I guess, it's subordinationism so that they can't even have the Trinity. You know, the 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 feminine spirit needs to be the, the yeah. bronze medal. And if God can't be egalitarian, then certainly we can't. And yeah, it's, uh, it's the, uh, the eternal subordination of the sun. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this, I guess sometimes it's good to go to Vanderbilt, or, but you probably already knew this before you got there. But I mean, this the is this is why coordination of the sun was something I was studying at Moody. So really, really. <laughs> yeah. See, that really was back in the now. So, you know, yeah. this was this is true for us. Stacy almost got threatened with excommunication 
at a reformed church when we were young because her friend who was leaving her uh, abusive, abusive husband, husband yeah. and she was going to get excommunicated for stealing his gun. Okay, just watch this. So she took his gun when she left. She didn't take it for the monetary value. Right. And it was all they want to do. Yeah. yeah. And so they publicly denounced her. Well, <laughs> yeah. So we were living with this couple as they were going through this divorce, right? Yeah. Jeff was actually studying at Oxford at the time. So I'm alone with a six month old child, <laughs> you know, yeah. in this house with this couple who, you know, um, but they're, so they're going through this situation. And yeah, and the pastor ended up having a conversation with me saying that I had to tell my friend that she needed to go to counseling with her husband and nope. him. Um, yeah, that was the counseling. It that, wasn't. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it was my responsibility to do this. And I was, I was crying on the phone with him and I'm like, this is not, none of this is my responsibility, nor would I ever, or should I ever tell her to go back to this guy? I, I saw the abuse. I saw what the situation she lived in. But what did know? they want to, what did they want to preserve? The elders make all the calls about your sexual life. Right. And so dear listener, no matter what your sexual ethic is right now, your understanding of the Bible let's at least get like some common ground to say this idea is the definition of culty and it may be in your backyard it may be in mm -hmm. your closest associations but when you ask the elders to decide <laughs> when do we give these jamokes authority over our lives well the answer yeah. is that's that's what this that's what this kind of the complementarian the and, whole thing well, and they did that they did that for the, um that same woman uh i talk about this in my book but at the at the village church in dallas texas which which is you know the church that is under celebrity pastor matt chandler um they actually so there was a there was a missionary that was sent out by the church um it was a couple that was sent out overseas and that missionary was found in um possession of child pornography Jeez. and so his wife began annulment proceedings from him understandably right she was like that's it done bye started the process and the church tried to put her under church discipline for beginning annulment proceedings before submitting to church marital counseling with her and the missionary who had child porn yeah this and that was like normal so somehow familiar. for them yeah. that they thought that that was like correct and like that was yeah. normalized they didn't yeah. do that like whoa out of the blue that is i think that's you know as with all of these things that we talk about i think what's really really crucial to understand is that these events are not um aberrations right they're not things that come out of left field completely like wow where did that that doesn't make any sense it makes all the sense based on what you believe. And that's that's kind of my goal in the book is to say like, actually these theologies lead directly to these violent and abusive situations. It's not, these violent and abusive situations are not something that happened, you know, kind of randomly of like, well, that doesn't make any sense with your theology. It makes perfect sense with your theology actually. Yeah. And that's what we need to reckon with. Yeah, well, and, and, and in my friend's um, situation, she even thought that she had permission, I guess, to go ahead and leave him because he did commit adultery. And, but they said, oh, it was just one time. And yeah. so even mm -hmm. with that, you know, and now she's there the one getting excommunicated yeah, because she won't go to marital counseling. And, yeah. you know, it's just, uh, even though if you really want to get biblical about it, that one's biblical. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> now we can get, we can get the, this is what we've been doing for three seasons, but, and maybe there isn't a, but, Maybe you can help us with this. <laughs> we and I mean, maybe every student conversation, even a colleague conversation the other day, we're feeling that there's in our own lives and other people's lives, a certain kind of sense of hopelessness mm. that we started out kind of fired up about 
these themes as we uncovered it so many people we respected have have failed us mm -hmm. not just us but certainly other people that yeah. really needed the help um so many people that should have known better but, they have but even paid. specifically us i mean we have yeah. specific instances in our own lives yeah. where when i've gone when i've gone to a, a, a pastor a senior pastor for help explaining what's going on they've taken advantage of that and then turned mm -hmm. it into an excuse to hit on me yeah. i mean those kinds of yeah. things oh, these, it's just sick. this couple's really comfortable talking about sex that yes but not like this you knucklehead this is yeah but so we we've we've been kind of in a patch of a kind of hopelessness and you could say well just uh just you know part of our 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 response would be let's just get in our rv and just be done with the whole scene which is i respect that oh, you know, <laughs> i want to do that all the time i think damn i just want to go like you know you're young yeah you can pull out it's a lot of fun but um and it's and it's really great because it's the only it's the only place where you anyway there's just it's it's an interesting swath of people that you see in the van life world yeah. but but the main thing though is that outside of the church is it's there too it's it's well, the great thing about Biden is he only has one or two sexual assault oh. allegations against him. Like we're living in a world where it's like the lesser of two evils is all we've got. It seems. Yeah, sometimes. yeah I, I hated that. I hated yeah. standing. I mean, it was an easy decision in terms of like harm reduction, but right. I hated standing in the voting booth and looking right. at those two names and thinking like, yeah. hmm, which rapist do I want to vote for today? Right. Yeah. yeah. And that and that even my the people I didn't even want them to. I understand why they didn't want to cause trouble, right? Like we talk about harm reduction, like we we're on that same boat. But to me, the students watching people say, oh, well, wait, all these things we were complaining about of system justification theory on the right, it's happening here. And they're demonizing Tara Reid just the way you would have mm -hmm. demonized the accuser of any of these re uh, Republican heroes. But do you see in your, in your, in your own life maybe, or at least in, in maybe stories of people who have been tasting some liberation, are there moments of joy or happiness that have, that have encouraged you? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I, you know, I do think, like I said uh, a little bit ago, like I am not an optimist. Like I am, yeah. I am, I have seen too much to be hopeful about like the future. So it might, it, you know, there's Hollywood, there's Washington, there's all this stuff. My context is the institutional church. I have seen too much to be hopeful about the institutional church. Yeah. Um, and I no longer hang my hopes on like, you know, you can get into a really codependent, unhealthy relationship with activist work really quickly, where you think like, maybe I'm the special one they're going to listen to, yep. right? Like maybe I'm the one that's really going to change things and I'm going to get people to change their mind. And it's just, it's not, you know, so I, I, I have uh, long since given up hanging uh, my hope or my self-worth on like people listening to me and like institutional change being made. And that doesn't mean like, uh, no change happens. And it also doesn't mean, you know, that we don't strive for better uh, organizing or change practices, right? It's not like, well, nothing's going to matter and nothing's going to change. So we might as well just do nothing. That's not it. Because right. um, for me, it's not so much about the institutions as it is about the people, right? So I don't care about the church because I want the church to continue to exist. Um, I actually feel really ambivalent about that question. It can continue to exist or not. Um, but I feel passionate about this because there are people in the church. There are still people who are trapped in these contexts, who are being mistreated, who are being abused, LGBTQ people who are being told that their sexuality is a sin, their identity is sending them to hell, like they need to go the rest of their life without a romantic relationship if they want God to love them, like all this type of stuff, right? And so 
for me, I have not seen, nor do I necessarily expect these sort of like broad swaths of institutional change. I have seen individual people like make changes, right? I've seen yeah. people move from um, very abusive church contexts into, you know, good liberative church contexts. I have seen people move from those abusive contexts into no church at all and be very happy and go on and live their life and, uh, you know, do wonderful things and do great advocacy work. Um, and so I do think it is, I do think it's slow going, but I think that we just need to think really clearly about what our purpose and what our goals are, right? Because if our goal is to rescue the church, well, we are going to be really disappointed and we're going to burn out and we're going to feel useless because that's not going to happen. But what if our goal was something else, right? So for example, what if our goal was to help the church die? <laughs> what if we were pallbearers at the funeral of the institutional church the way that it exists now? Like, what if that, right? Because I could do that. And I actually think that would work. Um, <laughs> that one might, I, I really, you know, people will ask me all the time, do you think churches are willing to do what it takes to like, um, you know, solve the problem of church too? No. By and large, no, not to say there's none. I think there are a lot. In fact, I'm, I, you know, I really hate on the church. I work at a church. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't, I don't despise all churches and think they're all useless. I think there are a lot of churches who are willing to do the work um, necessary to be a force for net good in the world rather than net harm. By and large, that's not the case. By and large, most churches are not willing to do that work. And so they should die. Um, that's just sort of like, that's my end. That's my end, right? If you cannot stop being a net force for harm in the world, then you should stop existing. Um, but that does not mean that the work of God in the world needs to stop happening. Right. That is, we, we have to separate these things out. They have been synonymous for too long. And it's like, um, God, whatever you think of God is, I'm kind of more of like a pantheist right now, but whatever you think of God as is, is still in the world, regardless of like how we structure churches, whether churches exist, what kind of churches exist. Um, those are sort of secondary questions to like, what is God doing? Um, and how is like the spirit moving among us? If you want to get really biblical about it. Um, and so, so yeah, that's my feeling of like, I've seen a lot of individual hope. I've experienced a lot of individual hope in my own life. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of institutional hope, but that's okay because that's not necessarily my goal. Did you know, I think, so when we, we before COVID, we, um, we went to see you do your poetry in Nashville. And I think we yeah. went to, we went to the hippie commune after, didn't we Stacey? Was it Nashville, then the hippie commune or? Mm -hmm. no? Yes. Yes. Yeah, because you and me, y'all and um, me and Micah and Caitlin yep. went out to that place and had buffalo cauliflower and it was yep. so yep. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. So yeah, so we didn't tell you about it. So we ended up going there because we we're just trying to figure out our, our next part of life. And one of the things that then re resulted in that, uh, you've heard, you know, like the natural birth doula thing. Yeah. That was started there. We didn't fully realize that. But the thing that they're turning to is this idea of a death doula. So Stacy has then subsequently mm. went and it got trained was the university of vermont vermont mm -hmm. um but anyway so it's like a certification program but it's it's basically um she helps people die but the reason that this this has worked for us and what, what how it ties into everything is yoga what mm. we do on this podcast and this teaching people to die is the same process as teaching people to come to terms with having to separate themselves from toxic churches mm. that it's it's partly spiritually ego death but it's partly it's just 
the death of these relationships that have that have informed us and it makes it so difficult for people people who know exactly what they kind of need to do they just don't have the courage and i would to say take that step. yeah looking at what are people's fears you know because so much of what what they're suffering from um or what they're afraid to address or what they can't do is because of fear right yeah. and and not being able to face reality <laughs> that's another huge thing you know what what is what is truth and i think uh one of the things too that is so harmful with um the with the churches or or just sometimes our theologies is the idea of the unquestioning obedience that mm-hmm. uh Levon in your book um she talks about how buy-in requires ignorance mm-hmm. right yeah. and by not so by keeping people ignorant uh you know of whatever it is so that they don't know the truth or or what this ultimately means it keeps them in fear it keeps them controllable and you can dictate you know how how they're you know so how they're thinking things i I just know that in my own life i was taught to not um trust my own emotions not to trust my hormones because they were terrible that was sinful uh and pretty much i just didn't trust my body and so that was one of the things that made me want to, you know, when I explored yoga, I, you know, realized, you know, what it was to have a healthier relationship Mm -hmm. with my body, uh, realizing that some of these things that, you know, that do, I mean, we need to listen to our bodies, right? They tell us a lot. So can you talk to us a little bit more? Cause you talk about how separating out the mind and body, um, in, in church and what that kind of, how that plays into purity culture. Yeah, and how, and how, that, how that plays into you being a yogini. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, so I teach yoga and that actually has been a, a huge part of my like, um, self-growth. And I, I don't think it's any, um, you know, I started church to, uh, one month after I finished up my yoga teacher training program. Mm. Um, and I do not, I've never thought that that is a coincidence. Um, I have never th- like, I just like spent, you know, four months getting in touch with my body and then gave birth to church too. Um, right. and that, that that's not a coincidence, right? So I, I think that in um in purity culture, there's very much like this emphasis on like you use your mind to train your body to shut the hell up and yeah. listen, right? So like whatever your body is saying, don't listen to it. Like as Paul says, beat your body, make it your slave. Mm-hmm. Like um, Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Like, um, can you tell I went to Awana when I was a kid? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so like, that's very much the, that's how purity culture functions, right? Is in this mind body dualism of like, the mind is good. The body is bad, by the way, this is what makes purity culture. Um, so sexist is because in like traditional, I think it's Greek philosophy, the mind is associated with the male and the body is associated with the female, right? So the female body, bad male mind, good. This is like very old stuff that we have now like brought forward into purity culture. Um, and so what that does is it really alienates people from their bodies. Um, and then you add on top of that, the fact that like purity culture specifically and the evangelical church more generally can and usually is a very um, traumatic environment for most people. And trauma then messes with the communication lines between mind and body, right? Like trauma basically takes scissors to the wires 
between, yeah. <laughs> between your body and your brain. Um, and I don't really think those are two separate things, right? Cause your brain is inside of your body, but I'm using this, I'm right. using body and brain sort of metaphorically here. Um, I think the brain is a part of the body. And so there's not really much of a difference, but if we're talking about like our cognitions and mm -hmm. what's going on in our physical body, um, trauma takes scissors to those wires, right? Just cut straight across and says this, this, you can't make this connection anymore. Um, and so then, then that gets really difficult, right? Um, and I kind of talk about this in the book, right? So now we're, we're in this, we're in this cultural moment where we're talking a lot about bodies where, uh, you know, there's all, you can get a, a, an embodiment coach, right? Like there's all kinds of different, like body work being done, which is incredible. Um, and sometimes it's not very trauma informed. So people are just sort of like unilaterally saying things like, listen to your body, listen to your body, listen to your body. And I'm like, my body has bipolar actually. Mm -hmm. So sometimes my body tells me to drink a bottle of wine and text my ex. Mm -hmm. Right. And I need to, <laughs> there are times when you need to say no <laughs> to huge. the data that your body's giving you. It's not always the correct thing to do mm -hmm. to like, listen uncritically to, to every impulse that you have. Right. And so, so we're getting all these competing messages, right? Evangelical church is saying your body is bad. And everybody's like, listen to your body, listen to your body, listen to your body and traumatize people are caught in the middle going, my body's telling me all kinds of stuff and I don't even know whether I believe it or not. And so, so there's this very delicate um, inner work that needs to be done um, wherein we sort of reconnect those wires. Cause the reality is like our body doesn't lie to us, right? All our body is trying to do is trying to give us data. It's just giving us data about what it feels, what it's experiencing, what it needs, what it wants. And then it's our job to build this relationship of trust with our body where we know like where our body knows that it will be listened to right so that doesn't mean that we uncritically do every impulse that we have um because that's what a lot of people oh if you listen to your body aren't you just like advocating hedonism anything goes and i'm like nobody at <laughs> nobody operates their ethics like that sexual or otherwise people are always talking about how the opposite of purity culture is just like a sexual free-for-all and i'm like i don't right. actually know anybody um, even people that I know that are like not monogamous, right? Like nobody operates their sexual ethics in like this free for all anything goes way. That's just a boogeyman. Except um, for celebrity pastors, but it's a <laughs> right? yeah. yeah, yeah, seems Sorry. like it. Um, but yeah, oh, that's so sad. so that's the thing, right? Um, and so I have I have come to believe it's not so much about like always every everything your body says, do it, or even like even loving your body. Cause I don't know, maybe it's different for men. Um I think for me being raised as a woman, I have a really fraught relationship with this idea of loving my body because I'm like, I just turned 30. I've had 30 years of body image issues growing up in America. Um, you know, and, and so I don't know that I, I, I wouldn't say that I even get to the point where I'm like, yeah, I love my body all the time. You know what I'm saying? I know that I don't, that's not true. I'm not going to lie to myself and tell myself that I like love my body exactly as it is. Cause that's like a journey that I'm on. Right. Um, but I'm, tr but I trust my body. Mm. I, I know that what my body, the data my body is giving me is like good data. I know that it's good data and I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to take it into account when I'm thinking about making decisions about what I'm trying to do. Like, I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to ignore. That's why I got this, um, this tattoo. Nobody can see it on, um, on the podcast, but I have this yeah. tattoo of a canary on my arm. Um, and I got that because of the canary in the coal mine metaphor. And this idea of like, this is for my bipolar, right? Cause I'm like, I'm not going to miss my signs. Uh, are, like I have my signs and I'm not going to miss them. I'm going to pay attention mm. to them. When my body tells me stuff, I'm going to listen. I'm going to, I'm going to hear the canary. I'm going to know what's going on. Um, and so that's kind of like the idea behind that. Right. Uh, so that's, that's sort of where I've gotten, like I, I, in my, in my yoga teaching and my advocacy, what I try to do is I try to 
tell, like when I teach yoga, I tell my students, like, this is hard inner work. I can't tell you what's going on in your, like, I'm going to tell you, here's our cues. Here's what we're doing. But like, maybe you need to not do that. And if you need to not do that, it's okay. It's okay to not do that. Like you have to pay attention to the data that you're getting and do that hard inner work. And I can't do that. I can't look at you from the outside and know whether you are just not wanting to do something hard or whether you're having a trauma reaction that you need to work through right now. Mm. I can't know that. So I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm just going to tell you what, what my ideas are for our time together. And then you get to decide if you want to do those things or not. Um, because this is the hard inner work of building that relationship of trust with our body. Um, and that's, that's what I try to help people do in my yoga teaching. Um, and when I, when I talk about it in the book of like, you know, it doesn't have to be yoga. It can be a whole, a whole bunch of different things, but you cannot neglect the body in your healing process. You cannot only, I see a lot of people (laughs) who have changed their mind about things, uh, like ideologically and their bodies have no idea. (laughs) that they are Um, not their bodies have no idea that they are not a fundamental evangelical anymore um not a clue they have not (laughs) let their bodies know so this is this is a relationship that has to be ongoing um and continually built that that last piece that is important there's a what they call uh the psychologist lacan i don't know if he told it first or it was passed on from his students but um the guy goes into a therapist office and he, and he gets healed after a couple months of therapy of his, of his delusion. He thought he was chicken feed. And so the doctor says, all right, you're cured. You're feeling good. The guy says, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't think I'm chicken feed anymore. A couple of weeks later, he runs in the door. He says, doctor, I got this problem. These chickens escape from the coop and they're all out in the street. And this is terrifying. And he says, um, says, uh, well, I thought we cured you of this delusion. He says, yeah, I know I'm not chicken feed, but do the chickens know that? And that joke for us has been so important because what the number one thing that get, catches us mm. is we'll slip back into those modes mm. where I, I start to feel as if I, I always have my intellectually, I always know like this is where I'm at. I know what's going on, but I almost go into it with my hat in hand apologizing for what I think now or, or apologizing for my freedom or whatever it is. And so you're, you're, you're spot on with the, with the, the bodily stuff. If somebody isn't in the, the, uh, Nashville area, do you have opportunities? I mean, especially probably now for people to kind of, uh, to click on a link and, uh, and, uh, practice with you. Oh yeah. Um, actually, so sometimes I do it on, um, Instagram yoga or on Instagram live. If I'm like kind of feeling bored and want something to do, I'll like pop onto Instagram live and mm-hmm. teach yoga class. Um, but I also teach through my studio. So I, I will say if you have a local studio, it's always nice to support yeah. your local folks, especially in the pandemic when so many studios are like having a hard time monetarily. And a lot of them have pivoted to online stuff. So you have a local studio, um, definitely try and check out and see what their virtual options are. Um, yeah. I also teach through my local studio, which is Kali Yuga Yoga in Nashville. Um, and I teach a couple classes a week there and it's pretty easy to sign up like on an app and all that type of stuff. So if people are interested in taking a class, you don't have to be local in order to take those classes. I'll link to it. Cause I think people, I think people that have never gone like Stacy, Stacy, even though you, you now are certified the mm-hmm. first time would you describe how you enjoy oh, <laughs> <with> yoga? Yeah. <laughs> well, and also because, you know, in my, with my upbringing, um, Christianity, I mean, what might as well bow down and worship Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Me- well, me- well, meditation was totally off limits. Did period. you, uh, did you appreciate my story about that in the book about my mom yelling at us for doing yoga on PBS? <laughs> yes. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's what I thought about it. Uh, yes, exactly. And I also love the, uh, the brownie and the poop story too with yeah. your mom. <laughs> 
but um but yes absolutely and and so when when I was thinking of going to yoga you know first of all I'm just thinking of going to maybe like this place where there's going to be a a bunch of young gals that are fit that are going to be judging me for my outfit or my lack of bodily care Um, certainly wasn't comfortable in my own skin Uh, you know so basically you know I I I told Jeff that I would go to the parking lot, you know, and that's as far as I got, he went and took the first class. Um, yeah. and then it was kind of like, come and check out the studio afterwards. And so, you know, I did. And then there, you know, when I was going to maybe like go to my first class for real, um, you know, I was late in getting ready so that we couldn't go, you know, I didn't know I was doing this, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know on purpose, but I almost went kicking and screaming, you know, to, to my first I class. I feel like that is a genuinely valid thing though. I mean, yoga in America has really been inundated with like these very like white Western beauty standards. And especially yeah. because people, people get exposed to a lot of yoga, like on Instagram and stuff, which is awesome in terms of like, you can see people doing like cool poses and get like mm-hmm. inspiration for stuff you might not have thought of. And that part's cool, but like it also, uh, the only reason you get into being a yoga model is if you are already genetically hyperflexible. Mm. And so then it makes people feel like if I'm not, you know, this hyperflexible, you know, I mean, I've been doing yoga for years and years and years. I am not even close to having my splits. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like I just have regular person hamstrings. I don't have mm. like hyperflexible yoga model hamstrings. Mm. Um, and, but I do think it puts people off. And so I try to talk about that a lot in my classes of like, listen, you don't like, I teach yoga. There's poses I can't do. Like you don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to be dressed in $300 worth of Lululemon to walk up in here. Like, right. Mm-hmm. It does not, it, this is about the practice. It's about doing this thing on the mat so you can take it off the mat. It is literally not about anything else. Right. And this is why I do, I, I totally agree with you. Support your local, uh, local folks. And it's not easy for everybody, you know, these days. Hopefully this will change. But there will be somebody who says, okay, I got enough trust already. I like this Emily Joy. Let me at least, <laughs> let me at least use this opportunity as a, as a fly-in guest to just demystify it, you know, and to, and to understand what it's really, because usually within a couple, within a couple classes, you start to realize people aren't looking at you. They're looking at. Oh yeah. Well, I totally get it. If it makes anybody feel better, I did yoga for probably a year on using YouTube classes before I ever showed my face in an actual studio, because Mm. I was so nervous about like (laughs) not knowing the poses and they were going to say something I didn't know. And like one time I tried to take a Zumba class and I felt like a whale trying to knit a sweater, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like I I was like, I can't, I'm not very coordinated, all this stuff. Yeah, I absolutely get it. And I would, uh, I'd love to have anybody in my class sometime. And I'm, I'm sure the studio would uh, be happy about the extra students too. So, but one thing I do want to say for anybody that is thinking about going to their first class or whatever, and you would know this as well, Emily, like everybody is different. So the, there is not the perfect expression of this pose when you're yeah. in that classroom, right? Just the way, you know, our lengths of our waists, our leg lengths, our arm lengths, you know, they're all different. So when you're in that pose, it's going to look very different, even for people that know exactly what they're doing mm-hmm. when they're in the pose. Yeah. And so, you know, that's one thing I'll just say, there's not a right, right way. You know, you just like, you have to listen to your body. Like you yeah, said, it's it not can- like Plato's like, cave right it's not like the world of the forms where there's like this ideal yoga pose and we're all just like trying to get there that's not what's happening right right by the way when we when we uh when we heard your poetry the new stuff in nashville um 
did you know Britney Spencer was there? Oh, you know, yes, Britney I've hung Spen- out with her since then. Yeah. Have you? She blew up. She's like, <laughs> she's on the radio. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> she, I was so excited. Isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, maybe I'll look at that too. But I want to say like, I mean, we've, uh, we always knew, I mean, you came to our campus uh, in like 2014 and uh, we knew, you know, you were going, you were going places. But, um, but one thing that was just so wonderful was to see the, um, I don't know, the, the, whatever it was in, in the, the, at least the last poetry that we've heard. Um, if it's, it's, I, I don't want to, I want to ask you, are you, are you feeling good? Cause I mean, I know that you, you, you got the things that you, you know, struggle with, you talk about it in the book uh, with mental health, but it like, for me, I'll say that for me, I can get to a place where I feel like I am not afraid of ultimately where I'm at. Like I trust myself now where I'm at. And then I constantly betray myself, as you say, with my, my body betrays me, my, my anxiety that has no good reason. I don't know where, where I'm putting it, but so bar- barring all that stuff, um, how are you doing? <laughs> Cause I mean, I'm, how are you doing I have this fantasy that you're like, pandemic. that you're doing great. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like great, it's hard to I mean, ask anybody how they're doing in the pandemic. Yeah. Right. Because it's like, whenever, like if ever I have to like email someone for something, I'm like, hello. I know the world is falling apart right now. I know we're all struggling with mental health. If you don't respond to me for three weeks, that's cool. I just want it, you know, like it just, because that's kind of where we're all at right now. But that being said, um, yeah, you know, since the first time that we met, my life has undergone like a drastic overhaul, both um, because of church too, and then also because of other things, um, but related and unrelated to church too. And, and so I'm in a much different place now. Right. Um, like, I think when we met, I was, I think I was, I think I had just got married to a man or was about to be married to a man. Um, and I was not in school. I'd been out of school for a few years. Didn't really know what I was doing. I was like trying to make a go at it, uh, being like a full-time artist and, turns out that's really difficult and actually kind of makes art not fun anymore when yeah. you expect it to pay your bills. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so, so trying to do all this and then now it's like church two happened. I got divorced. I am engaged to be married to a woman. Like my whole life is different now than it used to be. Um, but I feel very strongly, like, even though like, you know, it's the pandemic. So like, everything's horrible. And I'm like, I just put out this book in the pandemic and I'm in grad school and I'm that's a thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm in grad school and I'm planning a wedding. And so I'm like very busy, but I, but I feel like, like when I take a picture of myself, I can see a light behind my eyes that wasn't there before, you know, like all that's what I know. That's what I'm saying. Whenever Mm -hmm. I post pictures of myself, people are like, Oh my God, what happened to you? You look so much better. And I'm like, I pretty much, uh, like I haven't really changed my hair or anything, but Mm -hmm. like, but it's, 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 I'm on the right track you know, yes. and that's the difference. And I think people can see that. And I'm like, man, that's a sad commentary on how I look before, you know, but then I, then I look, I look at pictures of like myself, like maybe like three or four years ago. And I'm like, oh, I kind of get it. Like, I get what you're saying. Like, it wasn't that I was like, I wasn't like miserable or anything, but I was just not on the right track. I was not living into who I am and who I needed to be. And I think, um, in a lot of ways, church too you know, to bring it, to bring it back to the book, like church two was a really big part of that because I, I ripped off this bandaid and found that I was 
invincible, right? Like I ripped it off and I survived. I lived. I was like this thing that was this source of shame for me for so long that I just kept quiet about has now become this source of like liberation and healing, not just for me, but like for my friends and also like hundreds and thousands of strangers that like, I don't even know, you know? Mm -hmm. And so so when that happens, when you rip off that bandaid and it becomes this amazing thing, you're kind of like, I can do anything. So I like, (laughs) I might as well upend and burn down my entire life because of what I think that I need. Like I might as well come out. I might as well do it because I'm like, I can do it. I know that whatever happens, I can withstand it. Um, and so that was a really powerful moment for me and really has like changed the way that I, that I operate my life moving forward. And so like, in spite of all of the, the wild stuff, that has happened. And, you know, in spite of the pandemic and all of that, I mean, I'm feeling, I just got my first vaccine on Saturday. So I'm feeling mm. like really good about that. But that uh, fun? I got one on Friday. Yeah. Nice. It's superhero Congratulations. Status. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, so that, that part's exciting. I feel, I feel, you know, hopeful about that, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of how I feel in general right now. I'm just like, I am having, sometimes I'm having a hard time, but I am on the right track. You, you, uh, you said exactly what I was, I was fishing for because not because I, you know, I want to will that into existence <laughs> in some kind of way, but to say it's hard. It's been hard for us. If you get, you get right to the edge of, of, of joy and freedom. And sometimes, you know, you realize you got a whole bunch more to, to unpack, mm-hmm. but it is, it is worth it. The pulling off the bandaid is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't yeah. make everything. You're not going to expect total bliss, but the, but the but the the sack of 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 rocks that you're carrying around that has been put on your back since Awanas or whatever, mm-hmm. having that come off, and and that's why I say it's not just in your eyes, but like we see we look in our own pictures, like oh man, like I'm not happy there. Right. I don't know what I I didn't know that I wasn't happy there. And then somebody, you know, our friend Heather at one point said, you know, hey, you guys look like you're actually happy in that photo, <laughs> and 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 that's and that people couldn't you could say well that's attractive, yeah, it's attractive because because biologically, I think we're saying that person's healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that person's safe. Therefore that person's not like going to cannibalize me or something. And, um, and so thank you so much for being that trailblazer for folks and for, well, and for writing this book. And, and as, and as you say, you said, because when you garner the courage to be honest with yourself about one thing, it kind of empowers you to be honest with yourself about a lot of things. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it's that it's like being able to to be real, to face that reality, to honor yourself, honor your body, honor your mind, you know, all of it. Would you, would you give like to, to somebody who's like a young, you, you know, mm-hmm. not exactly you, but to somebody in your spot. That's would my you, entire would, audience. Yeah. Whenever people ask me who <laughs> I write right. for, I just, am like myself yeah. 10 years ago, 15 years ago. That's yeah. about it. So to close out, would you, would you speak to somebody who's, who's a young, you? <laughs> yeah. Give them some um, encouragement. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff coming that you cannot possibly begin to imagine. Uh, and it is stuff that will make you question everything you believe and everything that you think that, you know, um, but actually that is an okay thing to go through. That is a normal thing to go through. Um, you're not uniquely weird or messed up or sinful for going through a process where you burn everything down in order to become something new, right? Um, that's just that's just being a person and it's okay to go through that process. And you may lose some people, that is true, right? That's the hard part. We think, oh, I don't wanna do that because I don't wanna lose this job or this person, this relationship, this friend. Um, that you might, you might lose those things. So there's not, there's not false hope of like, don't worry, it'll be okay. You won't right. lose people, they'll stand by you. That might not happen, they might not. Um, but what you will gain 
in the absence of what you lose um, will be not only a clear conscience that you overturned the rocks that you needed to overturn and ask the questions that you needed to ask and did the right thing, um, but also whole new ways to be happy that you would never have even imagined, just avenues of happiness opening up that, that were not anything that you could have possibly dreamed of. Uh, so for Emily Joy, the Phoenix from Nashville, <laughs> and for uh, these uh, Jeff and Stacy, here we are traveling this world, making the best of it. <laughs> peace upon peace, friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.